Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Saddleback Covenant. This is the tent campus. <laughs> Welcome to the tent campus. <laughs> All right, we're going to begin worship here. Uh, why don't we stand? And um, I'm just going to read out of Psalms here a little bit just to kind of uh, prime the pump a little bit. Um, you have kept count of my tossings. Put tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Amen. Let's let's worship with that in mind. And that is a in, in terms of the seven words of praise, that is under Toda, which is a praise of thanksgiving. So let's let's render our hearts to him this morning. Father, we just thank you for this time that uh, you set aside for us, God, that we could be together on this beautiful fall day. Um, thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your grace, for your love, for your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness. All these things, God, we praise you for. So receive our offering of praise this morning. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Your love is like radiant diamond bursting inside us. We cannot contain your love, will surely come find us, Lord, like blazing wildfire, singing your name. Come on. God of mercy, God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your desire. May this hope stretch across the sky and be Your love is like radiant diamond bursting in silence. We cannot contain. Surely come find us My blazing wildfire Singing your name Yes, Lord, hallelujah God of mercy Sweet love of mine I can surrender To your design Baby, so 
Our strong deliverer. 
Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, Lord. We look back and see your hand, Lord, on our lives, Lord. And we have hope for the future because you've secured it, Lord. And you're never going to let us down, Lord. Come on, let's sing this together. Because you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna, and you're. 
every hour, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Come on, let's believe that. Let's sing that. When I cannot. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Come on, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. John play. Just open your heart. So as John's playing, if you wouldn't mind, as you look around, uh, speak a word of prayer or blessing for that person across the room. They don't have to hear it or see it, just different faces. As you look at them, just say, Alyssa, blessings in Jesus' name. But to yourself, but just look around as John continues to play. Thank you.
Amen. Thank you, John. Okay, how many didn't know there was a tent here today? Have you noticed it yet? No one said much, but uh, they walk in. People walk in and they go, oh, nice, nice, nice. I just want to, as a couple of people, I want to, first of all, next move we'll, be get, we'll get sawdust here. And then we're going to start having revivals and uh, tent meetings and who knows what will happen. But um, I'm really grateful uh, to Bill and Shay Malstead, Steve and Kim Wan, uh, Curtis was here, Phil was here, Mark, um, and Ryan. I miss anybody. Dudley. And uh, how do you like the new backdrop, you know? We're going to do it. So could you give a hand for all of them? In particular, Steve Wan worked so hard that he had to go home and take a nap. Is that true? For pretty much, yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, and it's going to stay here for a while. You know, we're, it's, uh, we own it. And um, I don't know what else we want to do to it. Maybe we'll put a logo up here. Um, American flag. American flag. We'll, we'll, we're going to, uh, this, I've been told we actually can put a door here. And we've got some other things. If we do get wind, we'll be able to block it out some. And, um, huh? Sides down here. And then also we can bring heaters in here that's high enough that if we get cold. So we're, I think we're going to be, in good shape, so you won't have any excuses not to come. If we had another week like last week, I looked out. I've never seen people look so cold, uh, especially um, Hope's parents from Hawaii. Uh, I, I thought they were on a ski lift in Mammoth, you know. So, um, okay, the, the thing that it keeps going through my spirit, and I've said it a number of times, this is a time in our lives to be faithful and flexible. Faithful and flexible. And um, I'm going to speak today about a few of those things. But uh, before I do, I also want to make aware there's a bucket over there for any kind of offering that you would want to put in there. We can still get um, your tithes and offerings through uh, PayPal, or you can get your bank to set up a check program, or you can just send it the old-fashioned way, snail mail. So that's, that's great. So what else am I missing today? I just, Lord, I pray you'll anoint this space. Lord, I ask you to anoint it and bless it. I pray that all the different messages that are coming to all of us different ways from different sources that you will bind our hearts together, that there is one God, one Father, one Lord, over all and through all. And we join together, united in faith, knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that at you, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So Psalm 32, verse 8, says this. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. How many like that so far? 
God himself will counsel you with his eye upon you. But that's the second part. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. I'm not a horse person. I have ridden horses. Erin and I went on a trip to Colorado when she was 13, and we did a, a mountain ride where I was straight up in the saddle going down. It was so much fun. But these horses were amazing. You just go like, just turn an inch on the rein, and the horse would go this way and go that way. One thing about those horses, though, when they wanted to go to the barn, when they've done their deal, you grab that rein, it's not going, it's not going. And so it's what the scripture is speaking about is when we want to go our own way, even if we're, compl we're compliant with the Lord, he puts things in our lives that isn't our own way. And uh, we need to be aware of that. So has anyone ever accused you of being stubborn? Please raise your hand if you've been accused of being stubborn. Mark, no one ever has? Allie, is that true? <laughs> okay. I put ouch in my notes. Um, Dudley has called me stubborn. I don't know why. But let's take a different tack. Has anyone ever complimented you on being tenacious? Have you ever had a compliment? They say, man, you just hang in there. You don't give up. You're the, that's you. One's a dig, and one's an affirmation. What's the difference? If you're stubborn, generally, it means you're obstinate. It means you, you can be rebellious and self-willed. Tenacity is about grit. It's about fortitude. It's about backbone. It's about resolution, and it's about courage. Tenacity is a virtue and speaks of courage and faith to press on and not give up when we grow weary. I have been concerned the number of moral failures in the church, among church leaders. Um, I've been concerned about the compromise the culture is giving to our children that the culture is really defining their view of life, and the church comes in having to prove God's ways where the other has been accepted by faith, almost. Like, now we have to disprove. I've been concerned about it, so the issue to me is tenacity, that as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Don't be taken captive by vain philosophy or empty deception or the rudimentary elements of this world. And so it's very easy for that slippage to take place in a culture. A good friend of mine, uh, John Isaac, was preaching in India, and he was speaking to about 300 pastors, and in India, the father-in-law controls the husband until the dowry is paid off. And usually the dowry is so expensive that it takes years, if not a decade or two, to pay it off. And so the father-in-law has the authority over the wife like a husband. It'd be like me having control over Heather um, or any of my sons, my two sons' wives because of that culture. And so John started explaining 
about leaving your father and mother and cleaving to your wife what's in the scripture. And he said, so how many of you does the scripture shape your life and how many does the culture shape your life? All 300 pastors raised their hands about the culture. God says, leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. We never stop honoring our parents. We're always there for them. But the beginning of a new family is essential. That separation, Jesus knew it. If I don't go away, I send in you the spirit of truth. I won't leave you as orphans. When he goes away, he gives us more. And separation is the place where we can grow and develop. Do you not know, have you not heard, hear, heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? He gives strength to the weary, weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Tenacity requires backbone. It's a mature resolve and patience. Many Christians get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Where are the Christians that can let their roots go down and their shoots go out? This is what we're trying to do. We want to be mature in our resolve and patience when we're, things aren't going the way we would like them to go. I love the words of Joshua at the end of his life. He was Moses' servant. He had crossed the Red Sea with him. He was there when manna came down. He was there when water came out of the rock. He was there when Israel rebelled. He was one of the two spies that came back. He, he, he was a, a warrior. He had had victories in the midst of the desert, 40 arduous years, and now he's crossing the Jordan. He goes into the promised land. The walls of Jericho come down. He sees all this stuff. Manna stopped when they came into the promised land because it speaks of maturity. When you're out and dependent, God provides and brings it in. He always is our provider, but there's a place where you mature, where he teaches us to make our own way with him on the other side of the Jordan. So all those battles take place, and he saw it all. He went through so much. He saw a whole generation die off. The same people that he crossed the Red Sea with, all the parents died because they were worried what's going to happen to their children. He said, don't. God's basically saying, I'll take care of your kids. Just be a good parent. We can't control the outcomes totally. And so his closing statement at the end of his life, after, do, after seeing everything, he saw the Shekinah glory come down on the tent, and it says Moses left the tent, but Joshua wouldn't leave the tent. He lingered in the presence of God. He went halfway up Sinai with him. He was there when Aaron... Um, and all of Israel put the false gods in the fire um, when, when Moses was up on the mountain. He was there when Moses threw the Ten Commandments at him. Moses was so mad at what they did, he went over where all the coals were, and he got it up, and he made them drink it. And he looked at Aaron. How could you do this, Aaron? And Aaron well, the people made me do it. Thank God for God's mercy, right? 
that was a good time to be Moses' brother. And God uses that man that failed to be the line of priesthood. But listen, his closing statement is a steadfast determination, regardless of culture, regardless of custom, and regardless of circumstances. He says this, just before he's going to die. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now that can be a little quilt you sew and put behind the, the put above the stove. Or that can be the very reason you will not be moved. Because your house will serve the Lord. There will be nothing that comes against it as you line yourself up with God. Amen. We cannot afford to allow the culture to define us. The culture certainly influences us. It influences us in the way we talk, the way we dress. Uh, there's always new ideas coming through all the different links and media. But as I've often said, no matter how far technology goes, the principles of life don't change. Honesty, integrity. Um, there is no app for that. My notes say this, following Jesus is not for sissies. Would you say that? Kids, kids, say that with me. Following Jesus is not for sissies. And kids that are here, I want you to know that you're a target in this sense. Nothing to be afraid of, but the enemy of your soul does not want you to mature in faith. He wants the culture, what everybody else is doing to be where you get your marching orders. But this, the word of God is true. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. And that's what we build our lives on. It's not who starts the race, it's who finishes it. It's abiding in him. Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is much more than just walking down an aisle and saying the sinner's prayer. God uses all of that. But it's a process of life where he's calling all of us to maturity and he's calling us to water over our head. If you feel a little bit overwhelmed right now, I want to say, you probably should be praying for the rest of us because you're in a process in God. Most of us like to trust God so we don't have to trust God. <laughs> I trust you, Lord. Please give me this. We get it. Now I don't have to trust him for a while. You know, it's weird how that works. Most of us are, a lot of people are unhappy and they don't know what would make them happy. Getting your way 100% of the time? That make it? No, that makes me unhappy. Well, how do we do it? 75? What do we do? I mean, why, are we, why do we get unhappy? What is it? And I think it has to do with, you know, how we focus with the Lord in our resolution and adherence to Him. Being steadfast is fixed in purpose. 
unwavering. You know, Jesus had some tough times with people that uh, didn't agree with him. Kids, again, how many believe Jesus was nice all the time? Can I see your hands? Okay. Parents, how many of you think he was nice all the time? Okay, a couple of you. It's a trap. I know, I'm trapping you. The beginning in, uh, I wish I could put it on the overhead, but just try to follow these scriptures. I'm sure you are in your Bible or you're on your cell phone. Promise me you're not watching a football game. Okay. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness and have the light of the light of life. Okay. First, there is no such thing as darkness. There's only absence of light. Scientists agree to that. Darkness is just an absence of light. He is the light of the world. If we are not, he calls us to be the light of the world. We are not to put our bushel basket under the bed. We're to be salt and light wherever we go. How many of you know that's for the other guy? You don't have that gift. All you're supposed to do is come to church. No, you are key. If you use what you have, you are key to so much more. But he says, he, he goes on, and they're talking about his relationship with the Father. And when he finishes in verse 30, it says, As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Okay, so now Jesus has talked, and they're believing in him and what he's saying about being the light of the world. Verse 31, he says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, If, big word, if you continue, which, count, which calls for that we continue this journey. We don't say this and then we're Christians and we do whatever we want with our lives. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? These were the believers talking to Jesus. One minute they believed, and the next thing they're challenging him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Culture doesn't change him. His standards are not changed by anything other than who he is. So he says, truly, truly, to be emphatic, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So it is. So the son makes you free. You'll be free indeed. Look, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Or the Greek is, my word makes no progress in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And he goes down to explain. Um, he says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is your, you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now, I'm going to tell you something. He just said that these were the ones who, who believed. This is so unnice. Come on. 
You'd leave the church if I said that. You know you would. If I said you were of the devil, you'd, oh, I'm out of here. I've been in this church for decades. How dare he? You know you would. We're that close to getting our feelings hurt so bad. He said, you are not of your father. You are of your father, the devil. You want uh, to do the desires of your father. Ooh. By the way, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. The God of this world has blinded the hearts of the unbelieving. There's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? So Jesus goes on and says, The Jews answered and said to him, Did we not rightly say you have a Samaritan, you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So now the believers are less believing. And they're saying he has a demon, the son of God. And a Samaritan is the most wicked, difficult racial slur you could do in that day. So they slammed him by calling him a Samaritan. And, he had, and Jesus said, look, I don't have a demon. I don't. I do not have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anybody keeps my word, he will never see death. Okay, how would you like to get that message? If anybody keeps my word, you'll never die. Well, look at their reaction. The Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets also died, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than Abraham. Our father who died, the prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and you have not come to know him. But I know him, and if you say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. Oh, man. He's called him a killer. He's called him a liar. How many would take that? I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, another emphatic, I say to you, before Abraham was born, before Abraham came into being, I am. The Jews fell on their face and repented and says, Oh Lord, come into my life. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why was Jesus so blunt? Did he need a conflict resolution class? Couldn't he have gotten a bet, done it better a different way? His words and even his tone confused the Jews and angered them. 
He was talking about Abraham, the most their exalted father of nations. He was messing with the Torah, the most sacred writing. Couldn't he have just softened it up a little bit, made it a little more palatable instead of calling them liars and saying you're of the father of the devil? By the way, these were religious people. They went to the synagogue every day. They knew the Torah. They did their prayers. They're on the wailing wall. These are not people that are necessarily just total reprobates or something. He was after something in them that they weren't giving him. When he said, I am, that meant a lot to them. You go back to Moses when he says, God appears to him at the burning bush and he says, uh, starts the conversation, says, well, who am, who am I going to say that when I go to the Jews that are in captivity, who do I say sent me? And he says, I am that I am sent you. Wow. Aren't you glad? And then he goes on against, I am sent you. Just as he said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew they was talking. He was using a word because our Lord is not the great I was. He's not the great I used to be. He's not the great I will be. He's the great I am. Say it with me. He's the great I am. That means he's present, past, future. He's in every circumstance. He knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart before we even let them out. He knows a word before it's formed on my tongue. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, this creator God that we serve. Jesus, we're coming into Christmas. Jesus existed before Bethlehem. Though that's the place he was born. He existed before Abraham. Before Abraham was born, I am. This loving God of ours, our Savior, came to redeem us from our sins. He was willing to be cursed. I don't do real well when someone curses me. I try. He was willing to be rejected. Most of us hate being rejected. He was reviled which means you're being dissed. He was stripped, means he was made ashamed. And he was abused, spit on, hit, lashed, nailed, beaten. He was born to die that we might live. This Lord that we serve is bigger than any circumstance you're facing right now. Any. He's in control and sustains all of creation, even at this moment. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to be political, but the world's not going to end in 12 years. How many of you believe it's going to end in 12 years? How many of you know people in our culture say it is going to end in 12 years unless we do this, this, and this? Christ is... It says in Colossians 4, by him all things were created both in heavens and earth, visible and invisible. He made everything. Even the stuff we can't see, he made. My nephew is a physicist, 
and he was a quantum physicist, and they theorize about probabilities, about atomic movements that you can't see, uh, but they surmise the law of motion and gravity in a theoretical way. And there's a whole world of scientists out there, Einstein and others that have developed these things beyond, it's just, that's as much as I can say without making a fool of myself. He made everything. All things have been created by him and for him, and all things are before him, and in him he holds all things together. The earth is the one that's holding this planet together. We have a responsible for stewardship, but he, the word of God, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's, it's, our, it's our lamp and our light, not any political thing or any ism. Very quiet out there. Maybe you, didn't, maybe you don't watch the news, but in the news, very well-known people have said the world's going to end in 12 years. So we need to get our vacation home now and live it up because it's coming down to the wire. Kids, don't believe that junk. God has a future and a plan for you. I don't know what it is, but don't believe that stuff. Even if you hear it at school, you don't have to be rowdy or anything, but just stand your ground. He's not far from us. We can stray. But he's our refuge and our strength. Psalm 119.51 says, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. He says, I'm a very present help in trouble. In Hebrew, it means a tangible presence. If your God is tangible to you, if he's a picture on the wall, or if he's a concept in your notebook, that's different than the risen Lord laying hold of him and needing his help because uh, he is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. That's an amen. amen. Nothing surprises him and nothing escapes him. He knows everything in the mystery of this, his will. He's working redemptively from age to age. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to his eyes. There is nothing that I've ever done or nothing that I'll ever do that isn't like in color on a flat screen with perfect registration to the Lord. When you look at your life and think of some of the things you did and not did or whatever, and yet he loves us anyway and he's committed to us and he forgives us. John was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day and he fell on his face like a dead man because he saw the great I am. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. You don't fall like a dead man unless you see something. He tells us that our times are in his hands, that we are to be a servant of God in time for eternity for his honor and glory we're also encouraged in isaiah that he shall be the stability of our times i believe that with all my heart i mean even if we're in a storm even if things go one way or a way we don't want it to go i believe that 
He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not, I'm going to tell you about the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just point us to life. He is life. So it takes faith and tenacity to hold your ground when the going gets rough or when the future seems bleak, yet remaining steadfast in the Lord. It takes godly tenacity to have a successful marriage and family. Successful, whatever that means in the best sense of the word, it doesn't fall out of a tree. It takes work and intentionality. It takes tenacity to grow and initiate, to initiate and grow friendships. If you don't have friends, show yourself friendly. It takes faith and tenacity to fight and overcome the onslaught of temptation that can draw us away from God. I could think of half a dozen well-known pastors in the last two years that have fallen in their marriage. Men of great stature, communication skills, compassion, called of God, and yet the enemy was able to get them. The key to standing firm in the faith, tenacity is the key to standing firm in the faith in the midst of upheaval and crisis. For I am convinced, say that with me. Now are you? Because I've seen some shaky stuff with COVID from Christians and non-Christians. Like this is all going to hell in a handbasket. The world's coming to end. I hear you. But if I say I am convinced, then you've got to be convinced now, I'm convinced. Now, I want you to say it with me. If you're not there, say it with me in faith. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death, that neither death nor, life, nor life, nor angels, nor, angels, nor, principalities, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things present or, things come, or things to come, nor powers, nor, powers, nor, height, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand. Pat, come on up. Please. It would be an assumption that everybody here has asked Christ into their life. Um, I will tell you this. In, in James it says, even the demons believe in Christ. So believing that Jesus is real is not what we're talking about. Kids, are you there? Wave to me if you hear me. Sutton. Oh, good. Good, Oliver, good. Um, 
And I would say this for me and for you, it's, it's a renewal in our own faith that we continually re-ask. Re I asked Dudley on a really nice date on our anniversary. So I don't need to do that again until our next anniversary. <laughs> you really meant it when you asked Christ into your life. Ask him in again, but not like he's a stranger, but that he wakes us up and gets the cobwebs out. He says in um, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, that's all of you, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I don't make many promises, but I make this promise to you today. Anything you do for the Lord, you'll never regret with a pure heart. Anything you do for the Lord, there's a lot of things you're going to regret. Me too. Anything you give him, what could he do with your life? Sheffield, do you like to travel? Have you been a lot of places? Do you know that's really special? It's really, it's a wonderful thing. And your sister Naomi too. All right, Pat's going to lead us in a song. Let it be our, our prayer. And um, you may have some suggestions about the tent. Give them all to Bill, please. <laughs> and... Um, We'll work on how we do this. We have a lot more room over here, so you don't have to bunch up so much next week, but we'll work on that. So, um, Patrick, go ahead.
as we go out, I'd like us, I'd like to close in prayer for three people. One is Peter Luzak, who many of you don't know, uh, but he was our worship leader for probably the first, well, not the first, but for 10 years in the church. I moved to Texas about five years ago, and he called me yesterday and asked me if I would put him on our prayer chain because he has leukemia, and uh, he's already had surgery, and he's going to find out a lot more this week, but his name is Peter Luzak. Um, also, for Bill's brother, Mark, who is, he looks exactly like Bill, although Bill's a little better looking, I think. <laughs> Will you agree, Shay? Because Bill's a, Bill, Bill is a twin, you know that, he's a twin, but he's a triplet. He's a triplet, but they're not identical. They're, Mark is, anyway, Mark has a tumor, been going to the um, Mayo Clinic in, in Minnesota, and it's been very touch and go, but they've been back twice to see him. So Mark Malstead is a, a second one. And of course, Erica's got a surgery date lined up. And so many of you have, I, I just love the way Erica's been so open with us so that we can share with she and John and the family as this thing gets closer. Um, on the 23rd, I believe, is the scheduled surgery. And um, so, Lord, we, we do pray for Peter. Um, even those of us that don't know him, lift him up and pray for your hand and, and your leading in all that they do and your healing power. Lord, uh, he was one of us for so many years, and I pray that whatever we still are, it redounds to his benefit in Christ as we lift him up and pray for him. We thank you, Lord, and um, we thank you for Mark Malstead as well, who was here for so many years. His wife was my secretary, and I just pray your healing power on Mark, Lord, that he will draw close to you and Cindy as well during this time. And finally, for Erica, Lord, for dear Erica, whom we all love, we continue to put a hedge of protection around her, uh, her mind, her heart, her thoughts. I pray that the peace you have given her will just grow. The same for John. And we do pray that as the surgery gets closer, that your peace that passes understanding would be on them and that the surgery will be not just successful, but completely successful and, and really good, Lord. So we thank you and bless you. And everybody said, amen. Give somebody a knuckle sandwich or a hug. <laughs> <laughs>